Welcome and thank you for joining us for this study I'm calling 16 Reasons to be Thankful. We'll be looking at Psalm 103. And so if you've got a Bible available, uh, it might be helpful to grab that. But if you don't, that's all right. I'll be uh, reading for us as well from Psalm 103. And I want to start by just talking about why we even need something like this. Why do we need to hear 16 Reasons to be Thankful or whatever list of reasons for gratitude we might encounter or seek out. And the reason why is because gratitude and thankfulness do not always come to us naturally. Gratitude and thanksgiving is something that uh, at times needs to be uh, stirred up within us. And part of how we do that is by reminding ourselves of reasons that we have to be thankful. And that's part of what seems to be going on in Psalm 103. In fact, if you look at the beginning of the psalm, this is how it starts. It's a psalm of David. And David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard those words before, but perhaps you haven't ever stopped to think about who David's talking to. David's not talking to you or to me. He's not even talking to God. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's addressing his soul and saying to his soul, you need to bless the Lord. You need to praise the Lord. You need to honor the Lord. He says it again in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, bless the Lord and remember the good things that he has given to you. Right? Don't forget the benefits that you have received from the Lord. So we're going to look at 16 things that David reminds himself in this psalm um, that he can be thankful for and, and that we, by extension, can be thankful for. And I'll, I'll try to go through these pretty quickly. So some of them I could dwell on for a long time, but I'm going to try to hit each one briefly so that we can just hopefully be full of reminders and reasons why we should be thankful. So here's the first one. We should be thankful because God forgives all of our sin. Verse 3, he says, who forgives all our iniquity. So this is the first benefit, right? The first blessing that David reminds himself of, that God forgives all your iniquity, that God forgives all all of your sin. We know, of course, that God has done this through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus paid for sin, took the place of sinners. So if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you turn from your sin to Jesus, all of your sin is forgiven. All of your sin is wiped out. And the Bible says if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is certainly something to be thankful for, a reason for gratitude to God. So God forgives all of our sins. Second, he says that God heals all our diseases. Second half of verse 3, he says, who heals all your diseases. Now that does not mean that God always heals us when we want to be healed. It does not mean that God takes away all disease every time we ask or, or whenever we ask or in every circumstance. It does mean that God is the ultimate healer and that God will ultimately heal 
everyone who belongs to him. When we look at the Bible at the end of the story in Revelation 21 and 22, there's no more sin, there's no more mourning, there's no more pain, there's no more death. In the end, when sin is removed and death is conquered, there won't be any more disease. All of us will be healed and restored, our bodies resurrected and immortal, right? No longer to um, get uh, sick or to die. But God will be our healer. God is our healer. So that's the second one. Third one, God redeems us from the pit. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. This reminds us, of course, of Psalm 40, where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Probably at some point in your life, you have found yourself in some sort of pit, some sort of terrible circumstance that you could not get yourself out of. And perhaps you can look back and say, I know that the Lord rescued me. I know that the Lord pulled me out of that pit. Whether it was a circumstance um, that was outside of your control or whether it was something you had gotten yourself into, some kind of trouble, some kind of sin that you had um, walked into and allowed yourself to be ensnared by and you couldn't get out on your own, perhaps you with David can look back and say, God has rescued me from the pit. He has delivered me from destruction. So that's the third one. Fourth one. Second half of verse four, he says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, right? What a beautiful picture. We've gone from being redeemed from a pit to now there's a crown on our head. And the crown that David is talking about is the crown of God's love and mercy, his faithful, steadfast, what some have called his loyal love, right? He crowns you with love and with mercy. It adorns your head. That's the fourth one. The fifth one in verse five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God satisfies us with what is good. He gives us what is good. And ultimately that's himself. He alone ultimately is truly and perfectly and fully good. And we are satisfied in him. He gives himself to us and in satisfying with himself, with his goodness, he also renews our strength. Perhaps you have experienced that too and can look back at a time when when you were weary and you were worn out and you were discouraged, distressed, perhaps even depressed, and God renewed your strength by drawing you back to him or, or, or opening your eyes to see his goodness or, or giving you some, some taste, some sense of his goodness and grace and presence and renewed your strength. So that's the fifth one. Sixth one, verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Right? This is something that should stir our hearts, that we should be thankful for, that God works justice that God cares for the oppressed. He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. Um, God talks about this uh, a fair amount in the Old Testament, that this is important, right? In Exodus 22, 21, he says to the people of Israel, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know what it feels like, so don't treat anybody else that way. 
In Psalm 10, he says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Right? God cares about the oppressed, about the weak, and we should as well. And we should rejoice and give thanks that God cares for the oppressed and that he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, as it says in verse 6. All right, now, number 7, in verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. In other words, God revealed himself. Specifically, he revealed himself to Moses and to the nation of Israel. He made himself known. He made his ways known. And we should give thanks for this because God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to make himself known to us. God didn't have to reveal himself to us. We could be in the dark about most of who God is, right? God's revealed himself in nature so that we can know he exists and he's powerful and so on. But God revealed even more than that, as we'll see in just a moment, to Moses and showed, uh, showed his, his character and his faithfulness and so on to the nation of Israel, showed his ways. And we know those things because God revealed them and God caused Moses and others to write them down for us so that we can read them in the revelation of the scriptures, what we call special revelation. So we should give thanks that God has made himself known so we can know who he is, what he's like, what he's done. And then <clears throat> number eight, we see what God revealed to Moses that we should be thankful for. In verse eight, where it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now this is what God revealed to Moses in Exodus 34 when Moses said, God, please show me your glory. And God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and so on. And, and you, you may be familiar with that story, but it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and so on and so on. And that's what David is reminding himself of here. Remember what God revealed about himself to Moses, that he's merciful and gracious. Right? Isn't that good to remember? Isn't that a reason to be thankful that we belong to a gracious God, to a merciful God, to a patient God? It may not be the picture of God that you have uh, had in your mind before, or that may not be, those may not be the first things that come to mind when you think about God, but they ought to be. It's the first thing God tells Moses. When Moses says, show me your glory, and God shows up and proclaims his name to Moses, the first thing he says about himself is, I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm slow to anger. We should be grateful for that. Number nine, in verse nine, it says, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Does God get angry? Yes, God gets angry at sin. Right? Does God discipline us? Does God rebuke us? Yes, he does. But David is reminding himself that that's not what lasts forever. Right? That God is not always going to be, if, he, if he's angry with us, if he's disciplining his people, that's not always going to be the case. That's not the, the default mode, so to speak, uh, for God, that he's not always chastising, always disciplining, always angry with his people. And is he always angry? Is he, you know, is he consistently angry about sin? Well, yes, he is. That's not, David's not saying that he's sometimes angry about sin. He's sometimes not. He's just saying 
that if his pe- when his people are being disciplined or being chastised or being rebuked or whatever, that that's not always going to be the case. That's not permanent. And we can um, know this in part by just looking again ahead to the end of the story where God is going to, uh, God's son, Jesus, is going to return and his people are going to get to be raised from the dead. We're going to dwell in his presence. And Revelation 21 says that God is going to dwell with his people. The dwelling place of God will be with man. And it's going to be a time of joy and righteousness and peace. And we're going to have perfect fellowship with God. And so if you're under currently, feel like you're experiencing some kind of discipline from God or, or chastisement from God, just know that that's not how things are always going to be. That's what David's reminding himself of and reminding us of. All right. Uh, number 10 in verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Oh, what a beautiful verse. What a wonderful thing to be reminded of, that God does not treat us the way that we deserve. Uh, If he did, we would be crushed. We would be destroyed. We would be judged. But God forgives, and God has mercy, and God shows grace, and God justifies the ungodly, Paul says in Romans 4. Uh, God does not treat us the way our sins deserve and we should be so grateful for that number 11 it says for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him that's a good reminder this is for those who fear him this is not saying sort of you know this is all these things are true across the board this these are for his children these are for people who trust him these are people who for people who fear him If you fear the Lord, you trust the Lord, you belong to the Lord, here's what he says. God's love for you is as high as the heavens are above the earth. If you can even figure out how high that is. It's really, really high, right? Really, really high. Probably even higher than uh, you can begin to imagine or think if you've not ever really like studied those things. It's it's very high, right? That's how high God's love is for us. He loves us more deeply, more fully, more truly than we have probably even begun to imagine or conceive. He has great, great love for his people. Number 12, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that may be something we need to be reminded of. That God doesn't keep our sins that he's forgiven close to us so he can remind them of us or remind us of them um, and sort of put them back on us as soon as we step out of line again and say, well, I said I forgave that, but let's, let's put that right back on you. No, that's not how God deals with our sin. He has separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It is forgiven. It is no longer attached to you. Right? It has been separated far from you. God has forgiven you. God has cleansed you. God has freed you from your sin if you're in Christ. Right? Number 13. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God is compassionate, like a father with his children. Think of a good father, 
and how that father is is tender, is merciful, is compassionate towards his kids. And David says, God is like that. Right? That's one of the things we need to remember about God and give thanks for, that God is compassionate. Remember when Jesus came, uh, Jesus came to show us the Father, right, to make the Father known. And uh, throughout the Gospels, we're told of how Jesus had compassion on people. For example, Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. God cares for us. God has compassion for us like a tender, loving father. Verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Right? He has compassion on us like a father has compassion on his children. He remembers who we are. He remembers what we are. We are not gods. Right? We are creatures. We are created. We were made from the dust. Right? Adam was formed from the dust of the earth, Genesis 2 tells us. The Bible says um, that we're from the dust and to dust we're going to return. Right? We are weak and fragile creatures, as strong as we like to think that we are. Uh, we're not. We are weak and God knows that and God remembers that. Right? He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Number 15, verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. And we're going to keep going. Verse 16, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. It's gone and its place knows it no more. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And then verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. In other words, if I just sum up part of that verse, God's love is everlasting. God's love is everlasting. That's something to be thankful for. Our, our days, our time on this earth is brief. It's fleeting. We're like flowers. right? We're like grass. But God's love, His faithful love, His steadfast love, David says, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. His love is not brief like our lives are brief and his love is not fickle like we are fickle. His love is steadfast and it is everlasting. And then finally, number 16 in verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is something I need to keep coming back to in just the, the craziness of the world and everything that's going on around us is that God rules, that God is in heaven, that he reigns over all, that he is in control, and I need to trust in him and look to him. I'm grateful. If, if God were not on the throne, right, if God were not in control, or if I just didn't believe that there was a God who was in control or didn't know that there was a God who was in control, I don't know how I would deal with all the stuff that's that's going on. Perhaps you've had the same kinds of, of thoughts, but God is in control. God is on his throne and we can trust him because we know that he's good. We know that he's at work and we know that nothing is outside 
of his control. And then here's how David ends the psalm. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So David ends the psalm not only by saying once again to himself, bless the Lord, but now that he's reminded himself of all these reasons he has to be thankful, all these reasons he has to bless the Lord, he's calling on others. He's calling on angels. He's calling on the works of the Lord to join him in blessing the Lord because there are so many reasons to be grateful. Our God is so good and so gracious and so faithful that we have plenty of reason to be thankful. God bless.